Good evening. It is a great pleasure to welcome everyone to tonight's session. This is in preparation for Rosh Hashanah. And as I mentioned, in shul on Rosh Hashanah, my plan at the moment is only to speak at each service for a few moments for health reasons and other reasons. And therefore, there are two main messages, substantial messages, that I want to share. You could think of it as my two Rosh Hashanah sermons, but I'm going to do them on Zoom. Tonight is one, and the next is a week from tonight, next Thursday night. As I approach Rosh Hashanah this year, I have questions, concerns, fears. But my deepest question is, God, what do you want from me this year? We want to come to shul. We want to hear the shofar. We want to pray to you with inspiration. We want to observe Rosh Hashanah properly. And we are blocked. We are blocked from serving you properly. Back in April, during the shutdown, someone said, unless you are Mashiach, stay home. Well, we're not quite at that level, but it's still pretty good advice. Unless you have a really good reason to leave your home, you're better off staying where you are. But God, what do you want from us? Back in March, when this first began, Ishai Rebo came out with a beautiful song called Keter Melucha, which literally means the crown of God's sovereignty. And he sang in that song, Ma vimize? Ma nilman mize? What do you want us to learn from this? What do you want us to understand about this? What do you want from us, God? So let's start by asking a different question. This year, the first day of Rosh Hashanah and Shabbos, no shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah that falls on Shabbos. This year, we will only have shofar on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Why? It's a very difficult thing to understand because keep in mind, According to the Torah itself, Rosh Hashanah is only one day. The second day that we observe of Rosh Hashanah, the second day is a rabbinic holiday. It's still very important. I don't mean to minimize it. But the biblical holiday, the biblical mitzvah of shofar is only the first day. So not having shofar on Shabbos means that there is no biblical fulfillment at all. Yes, we have shofar on the second day. Yes, it's a very important rabbinic commandment. But on the level of Daraisa, on the level of the God's commandments, 
there's no shofar at all. And it's not because blowing shofar itself violates Shabbos. It doesn't. The mitzvah of blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah takes precedence over the general rabbinic decree against playing musical instruments on Shabbos. So why do we not blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah when it falls on Shabbos? So the Talmud explains. Here's the answer the Talmud gives. Talmud says, maybe on the Friday night of Rosh Hashanah, the person who is designated to blow the shofar will not have yet practiced and he may want to walk with his shofar to an expert shofar blower to practice and get advice and he will forget that it's Shabbos and he will carry the shofar outside in a public domain which is prohibited on Shabbos. Now, that answer seems to defy all reason. First of all, the person designated to blow shofar doesn't practice in advance. I have been practicing blowing shofar for a month and I'm only a backup. Who doesn't practice before Rosh Hashanah starts? And secondly, the person who is designated to blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a pious religious Jew. You're telling me he's going to forget that it's Shabbos? It doesn't say that he's going to violate Shabbos. He's going to forget. How often does it happen that a religious Jew forgets that it's Shabbos on a Friday night? And besides all that, what about us? And most Jewish communities, we live in an Eruv. An Eruv allows us to carry outside on Shabbos. So there's no problem with the shofar. So how often might it happen in all of Jewish history that somebody might actually end up carrying a shofar on Shabbos if it was allowed to blow shofar on Shabbos? How often might that scenario happen? Once in all of Jewish history? Twice, maybe? It's a one in a million chance. And because of that, every single Jew in the world is prevented from hearing shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? How does that make sense? <clears throat> so there are a number of answers to this question. But I think the best answer is provided in a novel named Paradise, written by Toni Morrison. It's a beautiful novel, though it has a mature subject matter. And parenthetically, it is amazing how the story, which describes the experiences of blacks in the United States, mirrors our Jewish experience through history. So, here's the story of the novel. There was a town of black families in the early 1900s in Oklahoma. 
a town called Haven. And times turned bad. There were few opportunities for work. And so the people of this town of Haven, they decided en masse to move. So they all packed up and they traveled together to a new spot, to another small town. This town is called Ruby. And the novel is about their children, meaning the generation whose parents moved to Ruby, they are trying with difficulty to continue with their children the traditions and cultures of their parents and grandparents. You see how closely aligned with our Jewish history this novel is. Fascinating. In the center of the original town, Haven, the most important spot was a gigantic oven. They used it for all their communal cooking, and it was the meeting place. It was the focal point of the town. Think about all those stories of Eastern European towns where everyone would take their chullen pot to one oven to cook on Shabbos. And these families were a religious group living with the awareness of God's presence. And there was a motto inscribed on the oven, a motto by which they lived. Beware the furrow of his brow. When they moved from Haven to Ruby, they took the oven apart, brick by brick, and they carried it with them. And when they reached Ruby, the first thing they do, before they take care of their own needs, before they unpack any of their own belongings, the first thing they do is put together that oven. And in a certain sense, the novel is about the difficulty of transmitting and living up to that motto. Beware the furrow of his brow. God says to us, keep Shabbos. No reason, no benefit, no goal is as important as not violating what God has commanded us. Beware the furrow of his brow. Now, I would say it's not as inspiring it's not as uplifting to not carry as it would be to blow the shofar. The sound of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah provides spiritual awakening, introspection. The shofar on Rosh Hashanah is something that we look forward to. What is Rosh Hashanah without a shofar? That's what I would say. Nonetheless, 
no goal supersedes protecting against the possibility, even the remote possibility, of violating God's will. Beware the furrow of his brow. That must be our highest value. Now another term, our term for this awareness is malchus, God's sovereignty. That's what it means to say that God is a king, that we must beware the furrow of his brow. We must carefully fulfill his commandments and worry about violating his commands, even, I would say, especially when we might not agree. And that is the central theme of Rosh Hashanah. Throughout our prayers on Rosh Hashanah, we refer to God over and over as a melech, a king. Normally, we express Malchus, the sovereignty of God on Rosh Hashanah, with the shofar. The shofar is the sound of the coronet, which signals the approach of the monarch. The sound of the shofar inspires us to remember that God is a king. But this year, on Rosh Hashanah, which is Shabbos, we express an even higher level of malchus by not blowing the shofar. <clears throat> now, with all of the severity of the laws of Shabbos and the lengths we must go to to not violate Shabbos, even setting aside the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, there's one exception, an even higher priority, when there is a threat to life. Then God himself says, set aside Shabbos, and for sure set aside Rosh Hashanah and shofar and everything else, God says in the Torah, V'chai bahem. God says, I want you to live in accordance with my commands, not to take risks with your health. Now, Baruch Hashem, thank God, rarely do we have to make use of this exception. This year we do. Many of us will not be with our family this year. We may even be alone on Rosh Hashanah. Many of us will stay home from shul this year. Many of us for the first time ever in our lives. Many of us will only attend an outdoor service. We will sit two meters distant. We will wear a mask as uncomfortable and as irritating as it is, because these measures save lives. Even in shul, if we attend services, 
we will not have the inspiring melodies of the prayers that we look forward to. Instead, the prayers will be hurried, abridged, muted. Why? We isolate now so when we gather again, no one is missing. The Bahem. Because that is what God wants from us this year. Beware the furrow of his brow. The greatest service we perform for God is not the service we want to perform. It's not the service that is the most satisfying to us. It's not the service that is the most gratifying to us. It is not the service that is the most inspiring to us. The greatest service we perform for God is the service God asks us for. Sometimes it is satisfying and gratifying and inspiring. And there is no greater feeling than that. Sometimes it's not. But it's what God wants from us this year. And there is no greater reward than that. I shared this story with some of you before. A story I heard from Rabbi Biederman. A story that so perfectly captures the essence of what we face that it bears repeating. There's a bus station in Bnei Brak. Buses from all over Israel come and go like all intercity bus stations. There was a bus that every day made the trip to and from Tifrach. Tifrach is a tiny town in the Negev, the southern part of Israel. So, the passengers get on the bus in Tifrach. They pay the bus driver. When the bus driver arrives in Bnei Brak, the driver takes the money that he collected and gives it to the station manager in Bnei Brak. Now, how many people do you think travel from Tifrach, a tiny remote town, to Bnei Brak, which is near Tel Aviv, every day? How many people? Maybe on the entire bus, there are three passengers, maybe four passengers. And the bus driver, arriving in Bnei Brak, usually has maybe 30 shekel that he collected to give to the manager. But every day, at the same time that he arrives from Tifrach on his bus, at the same time there's another bus that arrives from Yerushalayim. The bus from Yerushalayim is packed. It's full. They're jammed in like sardines. This is before COVID. People are standing in the aisles. And that bus driver has a few thousand shekel that he collected to give to the station manager. 
and the Tifrach bus driver is jealous. Every day he brings the manager 30 shekel and the other bus driver brings in thousands of shekel and he's so jealous he just can't live with himself. So the Tifrach bus driver decides to do something about it. The next day, as he is leaving B'nai Brak, he changes the sign on the front of his bus that says Tifrach, and he puts up a sign that says Yerushalayim. And instead of driving his bus to Tifrach, he drives his bus to Yerushalayim. And he fills the bus up with his passengers because there's so many people in Yerushalayim that want to go to B'nai Brak. And they're packed in like sardines and they're standing in the aisles. And he is so proud when he comes back to the bus station in B'nai Brak and he hands the manager several thousand shekel. He's beaming. He is bursting with pride. The manager says to him, what was going on in Tifrach? That there were so many passengers that came to Bnei Brak today? So the driver says, no, it's a surprise. I did it for you. I drove to Yerushalayim today. And look at all the money that I collected. The manager is aghast and he fires the bus driver on the spot. The driver doesn't understand. What did I do wrong? I brought you so much money. And the manager explains as follows. He says, listen, every bus driver is paid the same salary. The bus company has to serve every town, large and small. There must be a bus from Tifrach to Bnei Brak every day, just like there is a bus from Yerushalayim to Bnei Brak every day. It's not your job to decide which route you take. It's not your job to be the one who brings in the most money. It is your job to drive the route you are assigned. And the value of your route is exactly the same as the value of every other route to the success of the company. And you failed. And because of you, today, our entire operation failed. We failed to fulfill our mission to serve every location. God gives us a route through the mitzvot, through the commandments that he commands us. Sometimes our route changes and we're given another route. A different mitzvah takes priority. In our case, protecting life and health takes priority over the other observances of the high holidays. It is not our job to decide which route we are given. Every route is equally important to God, to the overall success of God's operation. It is our job to faithfully fulfill the route 
we are assigned and to feel pride and gratification for doing it well, even if we would have preferred another route. Every one of us this year needs to constantly imagine ourselves as the Tifrach bus driver and to take to heart the lesson that he learned. Now, of course, we will get more out of this with the right attitude. <clears throat> Dr. Shimon Blau is a doctor in New York and he wrote this early in March when the shuls were closed, when there was no minion, no services going on. He wrote the following. For anyone disappointed with not being able to pray with a minion, I have been blessed as, a, as an emergency doctor. I have been blessed with having the opportunity to save several people's lives during my career. It is an honor and incredibly gratifying that God has given me those opportunities. Most people, not in the medical profession, never have those opportunities. Everyone has one now. So every time you pray at home and you feel upset that you aren't praying with the minion in shul, take a minute to say thank you to God for letting you do something you will rarely be able to do again. Save lives. Adath was among the first shuls in Montreal to close on March 13th of this year. We have been among the most vocal in urging following safety precautions. We have been leaders in our community. I believe we have saved lives. And we continue to do so in the radically different way we are operating during these high holidays. There is no higher goal in Jewish law and there is nothing I have done as a rabbi of which I am more proud. And you should be proud too. Every time you stay home, every time you wash your hands, every time you wear a mask, every time you stay distant, you are helping save lives. Nonetheless, I want to be very honest with you. This year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you may feel it is a bust. You may be uninspired by the rushed, hushed service if you attend at all. And especially if you're sitting in the tent and it starts to rain and you're sitting on the edge. 
and you may be unmotivated to pray at home. You may feel lonely, disappointed. You may feel you have failed. But I ask you to keep this in mind. When Apollo 13 was traveling through space and the oxygen tank failed and the lunar module was in danger of not returning to Earth, Gene Krantz was the lead flight director at NASA and he overheard people saying in the control room that this might be the worst disaster NASA had ever experienced. And he responded, with all due respect, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And rest assured, there are no detours in life. We are where God wants us to be now, doing what God wants us to do now. And there is no greater service than that. I truly believe this will be our finest hour. It is natural to have times when we are not our best. How we deal with these times is more important than how we deal with success. The great Hasidic master and teacher, Reb Tzadok, wrote, Our greatest weaknesses is what God is looking to see how we will make into our greatest success. And I have to tell you another story. This is also a story from Rabbi Biederman. And it's also a story about a bus. <clears throat> so there was a young Hasidic man he needed to travel from Yerushalayim to Ashdod. And he had to get there very quickly. It was extremely important. So he was waiting at the bus stop for the intercity bus from Yerushalayim to Ashdod. This was more recently. It was during COVID, so the buses were only taking half the normal amount of passengers. One bus passed going to Ashdod. It didn't stop because it was already full with passengers. The second bus passed, full, didn't stop. Third bus passed, full, didn't stop. The man was in a hurry. He had to get to Ashdod. And now he's stressed. He's late. So he decided he took a taxi to Tachan Merkazit, the central bus station in Yerushalayim, because all the buses originate from the central bus station. So if you go to the central bus station, you could be first in line. You could be assured to get on the seat, get on the bus, get a seat on the bus. Okay. So he gets to Tachan Merkazit, central bus station, Yushalayim. <clears throat> he 
He's rushing. He's running. He was the first online for the bus Tashdod. He gets on the bus. The bus fills up to capacity. The bus pulls out and he relaxes. Takes a deep breath. Now he's on his way. As the bus is pulling out of the station, he sees to his dismay and frustration that the bus next to his bus has a sign that says Ashtod. He got on the wrong bus. The two buses were side by side. So now he's not going to Ashtod. Now he's on a bus that's going to Rishon Litzion. It's a different place. But he needs to get to Ashtod and he's in a hurry and he's late. And after all the effort and anxiety and stress, he's going to the wrong place. So he is just beside himself with frustration and anxiety and stress. So he starts making calls while he's sitting on the bus going the wrong place to try to figure out when he reaches Rishon Litzion, which stop can he get off and catch another bus that is going to Ashdod? Okay. Finally, he figures out that the first bus stop in Rishon Litzion, at that bus stop, there is a bus leaving for Ashdod a minute after he arrives in Rishon Litzion. Fine. He arrives. He's still very late but at least now he has a plan of how to get to Ashdod. And as the bus nears the first stop in Rishon Litzion, he gets ready to run to the other bus, leaving for Ashdod. And just as he gets off the bus, he sees the Ashdod bus has just pulled away. He missed it by seconds. So now he is seriously stressed. He's late. Every step that he has taken has failed to bring him to his destination. He's exhausted. It's hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's upset. So he goes across the street to get a cold drink. And he drinks a, a cold soft drink while he calms down and tries to figure out his next move. So he's standing there on the street, drinking his soda, and a secular Israeli man approaches him. Now again, this is a Hasidic man dressed like a Hasidic man in Israel. And this secular Israeli man comes up to him and says, when is the yard site? Now, this man, the Chassid, he has no idea what he's talking about. But the man says, when is the Yortzai? Who's Yortzai? What, what are you asking me about a Yortzai? Who are you talking about? So the secular man says, the Belzerebi. When is the Yortzai of the Belzerebi? Now, this Chassid was not a Belzer Chassid, but he happened to know, just happened to know, that it was tonight. Tonight is the yard site of the Belzerebi. But he just doesn't understand. The whole scene is not making sense. He's looking at this Jew 
clearly a secular Jew, asking about the yard site of the Belzer Rebbe, it just, it doesn't make sense. So he says, why, why do you want to know the yard site of the Belzer Rebbe? So the man says to him, the secular man says to him, my father passed away two months ago. And he was secular just like me. He didn't leave me anything when he died. But a few hours before he died, he opened his eyes and he said to me, you remember the yard site when every year, one time a year, I would go to synagogue? It was the only time he ever went to synagogue. One time a year. You remember I used to go to synagogue one time a year? He says to his son, hours before he dies. The son remembered. The son didn't know why he went to the synagogue one time a year. He never went to the synagogue at all. Certainly didn't know anything about it. Father says to the son, I want you to continue to go to the synagogue once a year for the yard site of the Belzareb. And the man says that was his dying wish. And then this man says, I have been searching for weeks in this secular neighborhood for someone who would know, who would be able to tell me when is the yard site of the Belzarebi so that I could go to synagogue one time as I promised my father. And finally, he says, today I see you, a chassid, and I figured that you could tell me. And so now that you've told me, I'm going to shul tonight. And this chassid realizes to himself, three buses passed me in Yerushalayim, they didn't stop. I got on the wrong bus and I missed the connection. And the entire time, I was focused on the fact that the reality was, I needed to be in Ashdod as quickly as possible. But it turns out that God needed me to be exactly in that spot in Rishon Litzion at exactly that moment to be able to direct this Jew to shul for the Belzer Rebbe's yard site. We are that chassid. We may think we are lost. We may think that we are trying to get to our destination where we know that we are supposed to be. God needs us elsewhere. God needs us precisely where we are at this moment. Jeremy Ortman is a mental health counselor in New York. And he said, <clears throat> whenever I've asked people what thing they're most proud of in their lives, it is always connected to times of pain or strife or struggle and how they got through it. How we will get through this is to recognize we are where God 
wants us to be. To prioritize protecting our health and the health of others, which takes precedence over Shabbos and Shofar and Rosh Hashanah and inspiring prayer and being with our loved ones and everything else. And in protecting ourselves and others this year, we will fulfill God's wish. We will beware the furrow of his brow. We will help save lives. And in doing so, may it be our best high holiday ever. My friends, I wish you a wonderful evening, a fantastic Shabbos, and the best high holidays of your lives.